0: Good afternoon, Dr. Jones.
1: I ought to kill you right now.
0: Not a very private place for a murder?
1: Well, these Arabs don't care if we kill each other. They're not going to interfere in our business.
0: It wasn't I who brought the girl into this business. Please, sit down before you fall down. We can at least behave like civilized people. see your taste in France remains consistent? How odd that it should end this way for us after so many stimulating encounters. I almost regret it. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You and I are very much alike. Archaeology is our religion. Yet we have both fallen from the pure faith. Our methods have not differed as much as you pretend. I am a shadowy reflection of you. Don't take only a nudge to make you like me. To push you out of the light. Now you're getting nasty. You know it's true. How nice. Look at this. It's worthless. Ten dollars from a vendor in the street. But I take it, I bury it in the sand for a thousand years, it becomes priceless. Like the ark. Men will kill for it. Men like you and me.
1: What about your boss, the Fuhrer? I thought
0: he was waiting to take possession. All in good time. When I'm finished with it. Jones, do you realize what the arc is? It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God. And it's within my reach. You want to talk to God? Let's go see them together. I've
1: got nothing better to do.
2: That's
0: time, Indiana Jones. It'll take more than children to save you.
3: Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch
1: it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius?
3: Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood.
4: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 293, Raiders of the Lost Ark.
5: Notably not Indiana Jones in the Raiders of the Lost Ark.
4: Yeah. There's definitely been a little title change anguish going on with me over this, even though it's not super official, but- It is
5: annoying, though.
4: The home video releases on Blu-ray and 4K have modified the title to fit with the other two, and IMDb has adopted that title. Mm. Wikipedia has not, Good. thankfully, yeah. but we're going with the OG title, Raiders of the Lost Ark.
5: It's just one of those movies that you can throw on and you're like, this is the magic of Spielberg.
4: Happy Thanksgiving, ass clowns. Oh, it's yes. a special treat. That's right. We're recording this a little less than a week before the Big Turkey Day, but we try to work ahead if we can.
5: Definitely. Always
4: nice. At this point, as of this recording, Twitter still exists. (laughs) So we're going to go ahead and say, follow us on Twitter at GreatestPod. Hopefully it'll still be there. If not, we were never big into the Twitter engagement. So find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, Matt Crosby. Communicate with us there. And if Twitter goes down, just keep downloading the show. Yeah. And we'll come up with a new way maybe to interact with people if we have to.
5: That's true. On the Patreon page.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you say that and then I'll get messages. Like, did you guys have a Patreon? Oh, yeah. You can't joke with this.
5: I know. People take it very seriously. People are clamoring for it.
4: If you'd like a free sticker, you can let us know right now on Twitter at greatest pod, and we'll ship that out to you. Shockingly,
5: I still have some.
4: Please make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc., wherever you're finding us, so that you never miss an episode, you never know when we're going to post one on a holiday midday, something like that. That way you don't have to constantly check. We're there. We're in your downloads, ready to go. So this is a big one. This was one that, Believe it or not, we were going to do Last Thanksgiving, mm. and I, I called an audible and went yeah. with The Shawshank Redemption instead.
5: Oh, yeah. and It's a good Thanksgiving movie because it does just remind me of family, one of those ultimate enjoyable-for-the-entire-family movies.
4: Yeah, a movie that we grew up with, part of that 80s kids' generation. I'm sure mostly older than us, but our age, too late 80s into the 90s, seeing these kind of movies very early on. Yes. This movie, and some of Spielberg's other films in particular, really pushing that PG boundary in a way that you would never see today. I know. This movie has some disturbing imagery in it. Even the opening sequence it's pretty intense. in Peru is wild. It's hard for me to say
5: this movie or this series, but I guess specifically this one, may be the reason that I have sort of a fear of snakes. (laughs) I don't know if it came from my life prior to or if it just came from this movie.
4: Yeah, I figured you were really struggling. I was. To get through it.
5: But speaking of family in this movie, Lindsay's mom has a really endearing quality. She loves movies. And she will call Lindsay and leave her voicemails of when movies are airing on cable. (laughs) This... Has to be the leader in the clubhouse of the one. She'll just be like, Indiana Jones is on TBS or whatever. (laughs) But she says the channel number, too. (laughs) She does it all the time with different movies, and it's always funny and endearing at the same time. But it's Indiana Jones, she loves these movies, and Raiders of the Lost Ark is one that's always popping up as a voicemail. Wow. Yeah.
4: She doesn't know that you have a big physical media collection...
5: Well, she does as well, but she'll just watch the movies on TV instead of watching the physical media copy.
4: (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely an older generation's thing. I've definitely caught my dad doing that. I'm like, this is on Netflix without commercials right now. Why are you watching these commercials? (laughs) Raiders of the Lost Ark was released in 1981. It was directed by Steven Spielberg. Screenplay by Lawrence Kasdan, story by George Lucas and Philip Kaufman, it had a budget of $20 million and was a massive success, bringing in the box office at $389.9 million.
5: Spielberg and Lucas teaming up, you know it's going to be a jackpot financially.
4: It took home five Oscars. Best Art Direction, Set Decoration, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, Best Effects, Visual Effects, and a Special Achievement Award for Sound Effects Editing. Raiders was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Cinematography, and Best Music Original Score. I definitely was shocked it didn't win Best Music Original Score. I know. And so I had to check what did. And when I saw what actually won, I can't say that I agreed with the decision, but at least it was something pretty memorable. Mm. It was Vangelis for Chariots of Fire. Okay. One of the most memorable.
5: Yeah.
2: That's right.
5: John Williams has some super legendary, memorable ones, but this has to be right up there.
4: Yeah, I'm. A little bit partial to E.T. I like Jurassic Park. I like them all, to be frank. But E.T. is one that, for whatever reason, captures a special moment. It's a special feeling when that starts swirling and building. That's the thing,
5: yeah. But sometimes it's a short melody that really is the thing, and that is the case here. Yeah. A lot of the movie is fine and it works, but it's just that one specific Indiana Jones melody.
4: Yeah, you have the the March thing right. that they call it. But yeah, I think the other stuff is cool too. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Especially the Ark of the Covenant
5: song. Oh, true, yeah.
4: Song. So we referenced this last time with Who Framed Roger Rabbit, implying that there was a big difference in 1988 when Roger Rabbit was released in 1981, when Raiders of the Lost Ark was released. And when you go back and you look at everything that Spielberg was involved with... Starting with Raiders leading up to Roger Rabbit, you can kind of see why he could write his own check.
5: Everything he touched turned
4: to gold. Because in 81, you basically have George Lucas fighting for Spielberg to do it, to be the director. When the studios weren't 100% sold because, number one, he was coming off of 1941, which was a bomb and not one of Spielberg's finest moments. So even though he already had Jaws, Close Encounters, they were a little bit nervous because of number two, which is even his big hits, he did have a reputation for going way over budget and Mm. way over time. Yeah. Which factors into some of the decision-making they made with Raiders and bringing on Frank Marshall and everything like that to oversee it to make sure they stayed under budget and everything. But it's wild because you go Raiders... Temple of Doom, Poltergeist, E.T., The Twilight Zone movie, The Color Purple, Empire of the Sun, mm. The Goonies, Yep, Gremlins. This was all between the two movies, Raiders and R- Roger Rabbit. So by the time you get to 88, it's a completely different world where Disney's willing to do anything to keep working with Spielberg. Right. But in 81, even though George Lucas had two successful Star Wars films by then, even though Spielberg had jaws and close encounters, they had some difficulty shopping this around, which is it okay. it definitely seems wild now, obviously, right. but at the time, people weren't super enthused yet on this idea, and we'll get into that more as we go, but it's kind of funny s- the sales
5: pitch on the character is you can see why that might not really get any excitement going
4: well, I think a big part of it was. Lucas's demands. Oh, okay. And Spielberg's reputation to that point for not having the most disciplined sets and sure. as far as yeah. budget and time. But ultimately, George Lucas assembles this dream team to produce the definitive summer blockbuster, a film that would ultimately turn into a harbinger of things to come. I think it was maybe on the rewatchables or one of those things where they're. Basically saying that Raiders of the Lost Ark in some ways is the first modern film that continues on to this day. A lot of people point to Jaws because Jaws was the initial summer blockbuster and then Star Wars follows in the wake of that. But I do think that the way that Raiders is paced and the action sequences coming fast and furious, the pace of the film became the model for Hollywood, and you can definitely feel the sea change in some of the writings of the time about Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I think a lot of critics saw which way it was going. Some liked it, some didn't, as far as that direction, thinking, what's coming from this now?
5: That is true. It is sort of like nonstop action.
4: Yeah, it's a reliance on spectacle, visuals, and, as you said, nonstop action. But, of course, when the people making the film are as competent as Spielberg, Sure, then it's going to turn out great, but yeah. the fear is everyone's going to try to emulate it. And I think by the time you start getting into the 2000s, the 2010s, up through now, you're playing an all-or-nothing game with these movies. That's why so many studios are thinking, okay, well, we'll invest $200 million in this, hoping we make a billion-dollar movie. Yeah. Rather than, let's spread this out and try a bunch of different stuff. I know that's sort of a lot of steps in between from Raiders to the superhero movies we have now, but it's sort of what triggers that in a way. I think Jaws and Star Wars are a part of that too, though. So for this episode, I wanted to try something a little new and different, something we haven't done before, which really only came from reading through the research and thinking, okay, some of these sentences would (laughs) jump out on their own to be kind of funny. Okay. So I'm going to read some random Wikipedia sentences out of context, and then maybe that'll trigger some conversation. Please. Number one. Lucas suggested Marion would have a romantic past with the much older Jones at the age of 11. Spielberg <laughs> replied, she had better be older. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of weirdness yeah. with the Marion character and George Lucas. I don't know what he was thinking. It's not just the age, which is, of course, the worst part of it. But there's a lot of weird ideas he had for this character, which didn't really make it into the movie, thankfully.
5: Really? Yeah. (laughs)
4: Eleven. That's bizarre. (laughs) Yeah, but Indy's still going to be the hero, though. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Number two, Lucas wanted to fund Raiders of the Lost Ark himself, but lacked the money. Wow. Imagine that. (laughs) I wanted to date Margot Roby, but I lacked the handsomeness, success, <laughs> and everything else.
5: That it's like, true. okay. You could say that about anything.
4: Furthermore, the deal he offered studios was that they would provide the budget, have no creative input, and allow him to retain control of the licensing rights and any sequels.
5: Sounds like a good deal for the studio. The studio's considered
4: this deal unacceptable. <laughs> really? <laughs> Basically, you pay for it, but I get almost everything. everything. Yeah. So you can see part of the reason why this was a hard sell at first. Uh-huh.
5: It's starting to come together.
4: Number three, Spielberg abandoned his idea for Tot to have a mechanical arm that would be replaced with a machine gun or flamethrower. Okay,
5: yeah. He does seem cartoony, but that would be like a million times
4: worse. I think that's one instance where Lucas reigned him in and said, that's not this movie. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's a little too much. Yeah. Number four, Stanley Kubrick's daughter, Vivian, who was visiting Kubrick on the set of The Shining, called the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals about the treatment of the snakes during the Well of Souls scene. Wow. I'm sure that everyone was so thrilled that she did that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Gee, thanks. (laughs) Although, ultimately, if the snakes were being mistreated, then fine. That's a good thing to do, I guess. But I'm sure that they were all really happy that that happened.
5: (laughs) I think those snakes were stoked to be in a movie.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they did film part of Raiders at the same time in same studio as The Shining in England in Elstree Studios. That's kind
5: of cool because Ready Player One was a movie that I didn't really care much about, but... The part that was awesome in it was when they did the Shining stuff.
4: Yeah, Spielberg now says that The Shining is one of his favorite films. But at the time when it was released, he had dinner with Kubrick shortly after. And Uh he kind of had to be like, dude, I I don't know if I really liked it. Yeah. And Kubrick was like, why? You know, they got into this whole thing about Nicholson's performance and he didn't really get it at the time. Oh, wow. But now it's gone on to become one of his favorite films after the fact. Number five, Tunisia was used to portray Egypt. Spielberg described this phase as one of his worst filming experiences. The temperature was often over 130 degrees Fahrenheit and over 150 crew members became sick with amoebic dysentery from the local food. Ew. Seems like an absolutely miserable time was had during the filming of this movie. I'd say. Everyone, including Harrison Ford got very sick, although I don't think Spielberg did because he only ate canned food that he brought, like spaghettios and stuff. Yeah. He was smart, I guess. Number six and the last one the donkeys used for the trek suffered lameness. Who else does? This podcast? (laughs) Maybe. It jumped out to me. I was like, who 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 else is suffering
5: from lameness right now?
4: So before we get too deep into the actual story of Raiders of the Lost Ark, I thought it would be kind of fun to address something right out front. It's a fan theory that I wasn't actually aware of because I'm not a fan or watcher of the Big Bang Theory. So it didn't originate with that show, I guess, but it popularized it into Mm. modern culture, and it's become a thing that people talk about. So the fan theory states... Indiana Jones supposedly had no effect on the outcome, since the Nazis actually do get the Ark. This was popularized in an episode of the Big Bang Theory called The Raider's Minimization. Essentially, he plays no role in the final outcome of the story, since despite his best efforts, the Germans still end up obtaining the Ark, and then just kill themselves by opening it. In the absence of Indiana Jones, the Germans would have eventually stolen the headpiece from Marion, Made a correctly proportioned staff of RAW and discovered the Ark themselves. It stands to reason that many Germans would have been killed during the first opening of the Ark, but they would have eventually figured out how to use the Ark as a weapon by keeping their eyes shut. However, it was Indiana Jones's presence at the end that may make the difference. He finally recovered the Ark after it had killed the Germans on the island and delivered it to the United States, thus keeping it out of Germany's hands during World War II. So that's the pushback. Mm. When you watch the film with that lens, like what impact does Jones actually have on the story, it does jump out to you thinking, well, a lot of this stuff would have happened anyway, and then he just sweeps it up at the end. But think of it like this. Okay. He does intervene at the right time so that Marion doesn't get tortured or killed. Because she probably would have been. Yeah. So in that sense, he saves the girl. And as they just pointed out, okay, maybe they fuck it up the first time by opening this arc, but eventually they might be the ones to wield the power if he's not there to take it back. Sure. But I don't know. I think that it's a symbiotic relationship or a parasitic relationship, I guess, on purpose between him and Belloc slash the Nazis. Right, And you could make the case that maybe they wouldn't have figured out exactly how to find it the right way because maybe this communique that gets intercepted (laughs) is on purpose. They want it to get intercepted because they can't find Marion. They don't know where Marion is. So they don't know where this piece is. So they get Jones involved that way so that he can go to it and they'll follow him because there is a spy almost immediately in the movie. So it does seem like maybe they did this all on purpose to get him involved because they couldn't find it. But then they're trying to kill him before it's located. No, I'm saying to locate Marion with the piece. They okay. don't even know where to find her. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Right. That's why they initially send the thing out to lure him into it. Okay. So they can follow him to Marion and get the, what is that thing? That's like right. The amulet thing or whatever yeah. that is. The head of the staff.
5: Yeah. I feel like this movie is sort of the inspiration for the show Legends of the Hidden Temple. Oh, uh, yeah, Having for to put sure. these pieces together. That damn three-piece monkey that nobody could ever figure out how to put together. <laughs> it's just infuriating.
4: I was never a big fan of that show, which I guess probably is sacrilegious to some eh. who loved it. I know it had I did. Quality. I enjoyed it. It all starts back with George Lucas, 1973. He took the inspiration from the serial films he enjoyed in his younger years, Buck Rogers, Zorro's Fighting Legion, Spy Smasher, and Don Winslow of the Navy. Essentially, serial films worked as a precursor to both... Film and adventure films and also TV yeah, because they were very short and you had to come back week to week to find out what happened next. They usually ended on some kind of a cliffhanger, something like that. But characters in the same vein as Indiana Jones doing adventures and different things of that nature, maybe globe-spanning sometimes, whatever, I'm sure they weren't really on this scale, obviously. Well, I'd say. And so... What ends up happening is they start formulating the ultimate B-movie adventure modeled on those serials. Initially, the character is called Indiana Smith, which Mm. stinks.
5: Yes, Jones is a million times
4: better. It just doesn't flow right. right. Ultimately, the idea gets shelved when Lucas starts working on Star Wars instead, which I think he initially wanted to do Flash Gordon or something like that. I'm not sure which version of what or whatever, Some, no. something like that. He doesn't get the rights to it and then moves into Star Wars, does his own space opera. But he doesn't give up on the idea. He starts discussing it in 1975 with Philip Kaufman, who was a director who made Invasion of the Body Snatchers, that remake, right. which is beloved, and The Right Stuff, mm. amongst other films. So they start spitballing ideas. And initially, Kaufman was going to be the director The pair worked on a story for two weeks. Lucas imagined his character as a college professor and archaeologist adventurer based on his own appreciation for archaeology and famous archaeologists like Hiram Bingham III, Roy Chapman Andrews, and Leonard Woolley. Kaufman removed Lucas's vision of Smith, still at the time, as a nightclub patron and womanizer, and suggested the Ark of the Covenant as the film's central goal, He learned of the Ark from his childhood dentist, which I found to be a weird little detail. (laughs) Yeah. The Ark provided a source of conflict for the hero and the Nazis playing off Nazi leader Adolf Hitler's historical fascination with the occult.
5: I was wondering about that, because they spend time talking about it with these army intelligence guys, and I was like, is that real?
4: Well, it's real in the sense that, they didn't invent it for this movie, right. but who knows? Yeah, yeah I think yeah. a lot of the stuff about Hitler, who knows? But I think right. so. I think, okay, I think that's kind of documented that yeah. they were obsessed I mean, for with me, these it,
5: things. It's real because as far as I know from anything from history, if it happened in a movie, that's what I base it <laughs> off of. So I just take it that the Nazis from this movie is a pretty accurate portrayal.
4: Yeah, yeah. I would say yeah. In 1977... While hiding out in Hawaii from the Star Wars Fallout with Spielberg, he tells him the ideas. And then when Kaufman ultimately can't commit to directing it, Lucas goes with Spielberg instead. Spielberg, I believe, is responsible for reaching out to Lawrence Kasdan hmm. to write the script because Kasdan hadn't even really done anything yet. Yeah. It was solely based on the strength of a script called Continental Divide, which was eventually made into a movie with Belushi, I believe. But Spielberg liked that script so much that they bring on Kazden to write.
5: Yeah, it's funny how these things come together because knowing the history between these two, I just make the assumption that, okay, well, Lucas did Star Wars, him and Spielberg are friends, and there's this idea to like pair up and do something together, but that's really not how it comes together at all.
4: In January 1978, Lucas, Kazan, and Spielberg spent about nine hours a day, over three to five days, at Lucas's assistant's house in Sherman Oaks, Los Angeles, developing Lucas's outline. Several ideas came from these discussions, including the boulder trap, the monkey in Cairo, tot burning the medallion's imprint onto his hand, and government agents locking the Ark away. Kazan realized that, Spielberg and Lucas had several set pieces in mind, but they were looking for someone else to do the hard work of piecing them together.
5: (laughs) (laughs) I do always think that when I see Lucas's name, it's just like the story by credit.
4: Yeah, his biggest strength when you look at his career seems to be assembling the right people around his big ideas. Right. As far as a director, he hasn't even really directed that many films. I know. I don't think that he ever really liked that. I don't know that you really ever get a sense that he was great with actors. Now, that might be a little bit harsh. And when you watch American Graffiti, you might be thinking, okay, that can't possibly be true. But then, I don't know. No, I know. Look at the performances he gets out of fairly reasonable actors in yep. the prequel trilogy, and it's that's it's the not thing. very good. They
5: always say that if it's one actor, then it's a bad performance. But if it's most of the actors, it's bad directing.
4: Spielberg hated the name Indiana Smith, believing it would remind audiences of the Steve McQueen character Nevada Smith. All three men agreed to use Jones instead. Actors Clint Eastwood and Toshiro Mufon and the James Bond character were the basis of Jones's own. As I mentioned, we're coming off of a disaster, more or less, with 1941, and so there was a lot of budget concerns with the film. That was part of the process in getting this project up and running with a studio.
5: Yeah, and it is rife with reasons to be worried about budgetary issues when you talk about the set pieces they're trying to do, on-location shooting. Yeah. These are the types of things that can spiral out of control.
4: There were a lot of ideas with the script. Kazdin's original script was way too long, and they took stuff out of it. There was some compromises made about... This, that, and the other thing. I know Kazden wasn't super thrilled that they trimmed down the love story between Jones and Marion. There were some other things as well. But some of the ideas would end up getting used in the prequel, Temple of Doom, because it was just too much. Like the story was way too long and it yeah. was way too many things. So some of the cool set piece ideas end up getting recycled for later. Now, this is where it connects even further with what we discussed with Roger Rabbit, because they end up taking the idea to Michael Eisner, who at that point was with Paramount. Eisner agrees to do it. Not exactly the terms that Lucas was floating out there. I think they had to lower those. But they bring on Frank Marshall to oversee the production to make sure Spielberg stays on schedule, stays on budget. Obviously, their working relationship would would continue with the formation of Amblin and all of that stuff after.
5: What a fun job it would be to just make decisions on whether or not you're giving out like $20 million to make a movie.
4: Yeah, but those guys get fired all the I time. I know, yeah. There was extensive storyboarding to the point of insanity. Harrison Ford, who was eventually cast in the lead, and we'll talk more about that later, he does a lot of his own stunts in this film, gets injured several times. Oh, wow. That plane sequence towards the end, his foot gets run over. Oof. Hurts his legs various ways. The film ends up being shot in France, Tunisia, Hawaii, and Elstree Studios in England, which at the same time, as I said, Kubrick was making The Shining. And then out of all of this, again, very hard to put yourself in this mindset, Raiders of the Lost Ark was out of nowhere a huge smash. Mm-hmm. There was very little polling interest going into the film. Nobody knew what this was. It's not like Spielberg was a brand yet, even though he had a couple of big movies. Right. More people seemed to be excited about Superman 2, which was coming out around the same time, the same summer.
5: That's shocking to think about now.
4: But in the end... Raiders ends up being the biggest film of 1981.
5: Was that Richard Donner that did Superman 2? Yeah, Yeah. I
4: think so. But Superman was a big hit, and everyone was eagerly anticipating the sequel, and no one really knew what this was. I don't have the exact information in front of me, but this was one of those movies that I don't know that it opened number one, but then it went up to number one would drop down for a few weeks, then go back to number one, like eight weeks into its run. And and nowadays, when a movie would be out of the theater, and then it runs for an entire year, it never leaves the theater. It's become this legendary character,
5: but I feel like if you saw this, you'd be like, who who is, like, what is this?
4: Yeah. I think that Harrison Ford was pretty established, but it's a brand new thing, which I think that we can kind of relate to that still now, because we don't get any brand new things now. Right. Right. But this was a time where I think audiences were more receptive to it, and then, like I said, even if you weren't a smash hit opening weekend, you would still be given this time, and not everything was life or death over the first three days in the theaters. Yeah, you'd give that time for word of mouth, time for audience building, and this went on to be such a huge success. So let's get into the action itself. Mm. The opening scene, incredible, is its own. Little story. Yeah. It's almost like a short film in and of itself. Right. The Paramount logo dissolves into an actual mountain. And Super cool. I think that because a lot of this was shot in Hawaii, it's very reminiscent of Jurassic Park. Agreed. The sounds are kind of similar. Yeah,
5: yeah. Of course, the boulder sequence is just so iconic.
4: Ford is given a hero's entrance as Indy, where his face is obscured for a while. Leading up to it, Uh they purposefully don't show you his face for the first couple of minutes building up to it, the big reveal. I love the parody in UHF, the Weird Al movie, (laughs) of this opening (laughs) where... (laughs) I don't know that people who have seen it or not, but they parody this opening... And there's a part where Weird Al, as Indiana Jones, turns around with the whip, you know, when the guy's going to shoot him, and he whips the guy's arm off, like the arm just comes off, (laughs) the full arm. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this was too irresistible to pass up this little tidbit here, considering what we know about Inception Mm -hmm. and Scrooge McDuck. Oh, yes. Yes. The opening scene in The Lost South American Temple was partly based on a classic Disney Ducks adventure written by legendary artist Carl Banks, many of whose comic books have inspired George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. Exploring a lost temple, Donald Duck, his nephews, and Scrooge McDuck must evade a succession of booby traps Mm -mm. like flying darts, a decapitating blade, a huge boulder, a tunnel flooded with a torrent of gushing water, etc. In the story... The Prize of Pizarro, Uncle Scrooge, number 26, June through August, 1959, which hit the newsstands when Locus and Spielberg, both avowed fans of that comic book, were respectively 15 and 12 years old. Another bank story, The Seven Cities of Kabbalah, Uncle Scrooge, number 7, September 1954, has a Native American lost city and a valuable idol that triggers a giant round rock to smash everything in its way.
5: Hmm. DuckTales, how about that? Endlessly influential.
4: Yeah, when I read that and I read how those guys were both fans of that comic book, I was thinking, is there more to this Inception thing? (laughs) Was Nolan like a fan of this book? I don't know. Right. Because I think when we talked about Inception on the podcast way back when I was still under the mindset of thinking, well, this is just a weird coincidence. There's no way that that this could be the inspiration. (laughs) But now I'm not so sure. Maybe there's something
5: to it. With the casting of Harrison Ford, it has to be Harrison Ford. You know what I mean in this role?
4: Yeah. I don't know that there's ever been a better looking man. Sure. Than Harrison Ford in this one. In 1936. Something we've thought about a lot. An American archaeologist Indiana Jones tracks a golden idol from a booby-trapped Peruvian temple. One of the guys he's with, Satipo, is played by Alfred Alfred Molina Molina in his first film role, and on his first day, he got to be covered with the tarantulas. Fun. Evidently, they wouldn't move at all until a female was introduced, then those things would start moving all over.
5: They were going crazy, caught up in the fever.
4: A big part of the history of this movie is the casting of Indiana Jones, and there were a lot of people considered. Lucas wanted a relatively unknown actor willing to commit to a trilogy of films to play Indiana Jones. Those considered for the role, though, included Bill Murray, Nick Nolte, Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, Tim Matheson, Nick Mancuso, wow. Peter Coyote, Jack Nicholson, Jeff Bridges, John Shea, Sam Elliott, and Harry Hamlin.
5: That's all, like, all over the map. A couple like comedy guys in there.
4: Casting director Mike Fenton favored Bridges, but Lucas's wife and frequent collaborator Marsha Lucas preferred Tom Selleck. Selleck was yeah. contractually obligated to filming the television series Magnum P.I. If it were to be made into a full series, Lucas and Spielberg asked the show's studio CBS to release him 10 days early from his contract. Realizing Selleck was in demand, CBS greenlit Magnum P.I., forcing him to drop out and leaving the production. Best thing that ever happened. With no lead actor, only weeks before filming. This is one of those famous what-ifs, because Selleck basically had the part. It was going to happen, but then CBS panicked, thinking that Selleck was an in-demand guy. They go ahead with this show. And then the final cruel twist of irony from Selleck's perspective is that the 1980s actors' strike later put the show on hiatus for three months, which would have allowed Selleck to star as Jones.
5: Bummer. For him, not for us.
4: Spielberg said Ford was perfect for the role after seeing him in The Empire Strikes Back.
5: Yeah, he's just got that charm.
4: It was said that Ford had always been considered but not cast because he was already a well-known actor. Lucas was concerned about seeming reliant on Ford by casting him in another film after Star Wars and he also did not think he would commit to three films. However, Ford thought it would be a fun project and agreed to the deal. I guess now's as good a time as any to talk about the look, the iconic look of Amy oh, yeah. Jones, the hat, a fedora, the leather jacket, the boots, the whip, evoking heroes of old but still feeling fresh and entirely perfect.
5: Yeah, the revolver, too. There's sort of a cowboy vibe to him as well.
4: He's... The fantasy of the idealized, roguish man.
5: Yeah, it was rocking that stubble a little bit.
4: On the journey to get this idol, we we come across Forestal, Poor, poor, pathetic Forestal, <laughs> Done in by one of the booby traps. And yeah. it, it definitely reminds me a lot of stuff from The Goonies. Yes, for sure. There's a lot of stuff when you actually really examine Spielberg's work. And I know that he didn't direct The Goonies, obviously. He actually was a second unit director on some of it, but he produced There are those movies that he
5: produced that definitely feel like they have his touch.
4: Yeah, and there's some stuff he would return to. There's a lot of imagery in this movie that would come up later in his other films. We already mentioned Jurassic Park, but Poltergeist, I think there's some definite stuff in here, and the Goonies, things like that. For whatever reason, both of these guys that Indy goes into the jungle with Betray him at different points. (laughs) Satipo, adios, senor. Yeah. It does seem
5: like it would take a crew to successfully pull this off.
4: And then the boulder is chasing them after they take the idol, and then Satipo bites it the same way Forrestal did. Sort of a weak moment there. Does not really look like Alfred Molina anymore. Right. With the fake dead body. But even that is a pretty solid jump scare and it's pretty gruesome for a PG movie. Oh, for sure. And there's definitely some stuff in this movie that initially was going to make it be rated R and they had to yeah, do their deals and, and switch things up a little bit to get it passed for the PG. Because there was no PG-13 yet.
5: Right. We were saying it before the show. It's like the stuff we watched as kids, kids today just don't know how good they've got it. Well, we, I don't we know. I would say up. we had it better. <laughs> yeah. In terms of quality films, absolutely but stuff that would fuck with you for the rest of your life.
4: Well, we were just expected to be able to handle darker, yeah, scarier but things. But
5: now we need dark and scary.
4: Yeah. <laughs> you're always chasing that high. That's right. And you know what?
5: I wouldn't have it any other way. I don't
4: think to this day I've ever been as scared of a movie as I was of Jaws. Yeah. Because it just hits different when you're a kid. For sure. Indy narrowly escapes the boulder in time, only to be confronted by rival archaeologist Rene Belloc, played by Paul Freeman,
5: kind of a sharp-dressed man,
4: who has rallied the indigenous locals in order to take the idol from Indy.
0: Dr. Jones, again we see there is nothing you can possess which I cannot take away, and you thought I had given up. You chose the wrong friends. This time it will cost you.
1: Too bad the Hovitos don't know you the way I do, Belloc.
0: Yes, too bad. You could warn them if only you spoke Hovitos.
3: Hocano Matuso! Babata!
4: indy is able to make a run for it though and escapes in a waiting seaplane i s- hate snakes yeah. jock <laughs> i, was gonna say I snake. hate them
5: first run in with a snake
3: there's a big snake in the plane jock oh that's just my pet snake reggie i hate snakes jock i hate them Come on, show a little backbone, will
4: ya? Yeah, how did he get there in the first place? Did he not know that there was a giant snake in the plane already?
5: I know, there's not a lot of places to keep it.
4: I think that this portion of the film and then a lot of the follow-up Temple of Doom is where you start getting into those gray area questions that you don't really consider in the 80s you don't really consider when you're a kid but yeah essentially what we're talking about here is a grave robber there are bigger larger questions at play especially when part of indy's (laughs) mantra becomes
5: there are some ethical questions about what's going on with him
4: one of the things that he says is it belongs in a museum that becomes one of his phrases later throughout the trilogy I think the way that we look at it now is that it does not belong in a museum. Yeah, yeah. That these are the property of the people and you're basically just robbing graves at a certain point. Right. Yeah, and as you said, he's making money, he's selling these items to a museum. It's not really something that you think about when you're a kid, and I don't think that it was really an issue in 1981 that people were thinking too hard about, but Yeah, there's definitely a way to look at this stuff as being questionable. And then we're not going to talk a ton about the sequels because I think there's a chance that one day we might do Temple of Doom for the fun of it. Yeah, But that movie gets into all kinds of uncomfortable stuff now that borderline gets it canceled because it's a little bit weird and offensive, Mm -hmm. which I think is sort of what makes it interesting to talk about. But it is wild, though. Oh, yeah. Spielberg only made X number of films in the 80s, and he was at arguably his peak in terms of power, influence, ability to do whatever he wants, and he revisits this character two more times. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy. Well,
5: he had a good run with this one. You understand.
4: Back in the United States, Indy is also a professor.
5: So I love this transition. I think that this is absolutely great. There's almost like a superman clark kent identity thing going on with him because it they really kind of play up this nerd professor angle here (laughs) i do think it's like the nerd hero thing that kind of came back in the mid 2000s
4: the nerd that has every eligible lady exactly on campus in love with it's
5: like scott pilgrim
4: yeah i wrote down dueling personalities almost indie versus dr jones yeah but yeah, I think that Ford approached the role as he's an academic first, an right. adventurer second. Yeah, and it kind of comes across in these moments where oh yeah, casually mentioning the office hours, he adventures because that's what it requires of him. It's almost like a Jedi, right? A Jedi craves not these things. <laughs> that kind of a <laughs> yeah. It's almost like he just has to do it because that's what the job requires. Right. Not that he he needs to find these pieces. Which is weird because he does seem like he is having fun a lot of the time and he's always got a wry smile and a, a quip and whatnot. His class here at the university is mostly girls. One of the girls has love you on her eyelids so that when she closes her eyes, that's what he can see. He seems a little bit shook by this, doesn't really know how to react.
5: Well, it is bizarre. It is a bit strong, I'd say. She's really closing those eyelids.
4: There's still some holdover in the script from Lucas's dream of making Indiana Jones a playboy like James Bond. However, Jones himself does seem largely disinterested in the final cut of the film, what yeah. we see, because of certain things they edited out or never filmed. I did think it was funny that the class is mostly women, but then the last student out the door is a guy who leaves an apple on his desk.
5: <laughs> Me? Hilarious.
4: I don't know who this guy is exactly in his terms of his relationship. I, I just thought maybe Brody was Jones's boss. I'm not really sure. It does feel that way. Anyway, Brody is played by Denholm Elliott. So Brody comes and tells him that two Army intelligence agents have arrived and they want to talk to Indy. Love it or hate it? Embrace it or not, there's adventure around every corner. Oh, yeah. It just falls into Indy's lap. It sort of
5: explains a good chunk of what's going to happen, too.
4: Yeah, I would compare this scene with the Army Intelligence guys to the start of a race. Uh Uh-huh. On your marks, get set kind of a thing. That's right, yeah. Right before you yell go, and then we're off. It pretty much explains what we need to know before we can take off on another globe-spanning adventure.
5: That's right.
1: Yes, Dr. Jones, you have heard a great deal about you. Have you? Uh, professor of archaeology, expert on the occult, and, how does one say it, obtainer of rare antiquities. One way of saying it, why don't you sit down? You'll be more comfortable. Thank you. Yes, you're a man of many talents. <laughs> Uh, you studied under Professor Ravenwood at the University of Chicago. Yes, I did. You have no idea of his present whereabouts? Uh, well, just rumors, really. Somewhere in Asia, I think. I have not really spoken to him for 10 years. We were friends, but, uh, had a bit of a falling out, I'm afraid. Mm. Dr. Jones, now, you must understand that this is all strictly confidential, right? I understand. Uh, <clears throat> Yesterday afternoon, our European sections intercepted a a German communique that was sent from Cairo to Berlin. You see, over the last two years, the Nazis have had teams of archaeologists running around the world looking for all kinds of religious artifacts. Hitler's a nut on the subject. He's crazy. He's obsessed with the occult. And right now, apparently, there's some kind of German archaeological dig going on in the desert outside of Cairo. Now, we've got some information here, but we can't make anything out of it. And maybe you can. Tannis Development Proceeding. Acquire Headpiece Staff of Ra, Abner Ravenwood, U.S. Nazis have discovered Tannis. Just so what does that mean to you, uh, Tannis? Well, well, the city of Tanis I mean... is one of the possible resting places of the Lost Ark. The Lost Ark? Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant, the chest the Hebrews used to carry around the Ten Commandments. What, what, what do you mean, the mean Ten the... Commandments? You're talking about THE Ten Commandments? Yes, the, the actual Ten Commandments, the original stone tablets that Moses brought down out of Mount Harab and smashed, if you believe in that sort of thing. Any of you guys ever go to Sunday school? Well, I... Oh, look, the Hebrews took the broken pieces and put them in the Ark, when they settled in Canaan, they put the Ark in a place called the Temple of Solomon. In Jerusalem. Where it stayed for many years, until all of a sudden, whoosh, is gone. Where? Well, nobody knows where or when.
0: However, an Egyptian pharaoh. Shishak. Uh, yes, invaded the city of Jerusalem around about 980 BC. And he may have taken the Ark back to the city of Tanis and hidden it in a secret chamber called the Well of Souls. Secret chamber. However, about a year after the pharaoh had returned to Egypt, the city of Tanis was consumed by the desert in a sandstorm which lasted a whole year, wiped clean by the wrath of God. Uh, uh-huh.
1: uh, obviously, we've come to the right man. Now, you seem to know uh, all about this, Tannis. No, no, not really. Ravenwood is the real expert. Abner did the first serious work on Tannis, collected some of its relics. It was his obsession, really. But he never found the city. Frankly, we're somewhat suspicious of Mr. Ravenwood, uh, American being mentioned so prominently in a secret Nazi cable. Oh, rubbish. Ravenwood's no Nazi. Well, what did the Nazis want him
2: for, then? Well,
1: obviously, the Nazis are looking for the headpiece to the staff of Ra, and they think Abner's got it. What exactly is a headpiece to the staff of Ra? Well, the staff is just a stick. I don't know, about this big. Nobody really knows for sure how high it is. It's uh, it's a cap with an elaborate headpiece in the shape of the sun, with a crystal in the center. And what you did was you take the staff to a special room in Tadness, a map room with a miniature of the city all laid out on the floor. And if you put the staff in a certain place at a certain time of day, the sun shone through here and made a beam that came down on the floor here and gave you the exact location of the well of the souls. Where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, right? Which is exactly what the Nazis are looking for. Now, what does this Ark look like? Uh, There's a picture of it right here.
0: That's it. Good God.
1: Yes, that's just what the Hebrews thought. Uh, now what's that supposed to be coming out of there? lightning, fire, power of God or something. You don't understand Hitler's interest in this.
0: Oh, yes. The Bible speaks of the Ark leveling mountains and laying waste to entire regions. An army which carries the Ark before it is invincible.
4: Indy is briefed by the men that Nazi German forces are evidently excavating at tanis egypt and one of their intercepted telegrams mentions indy's old mentor abner ravenwood indy quickly deduces that the nazis seek the ark of the covenant which hitler believes will make their army invincible so the agents are here to essentially recruit jones to recover the ark first
5: these guys just rummaging through their papers abner ravenwood that's a real name
4: one of the things that is cool about Raiders of the Lost Ark is that it is the first modern movie. It is the launch of the summer blockbuster as an idealized genre to chase. Okay. But it still has a lot of the 70s oh for sure filmmaking DNA and some grit and it really does not hold the audience's hand with the plot like a lot of more modern films do to make sure you can follow everything that's happening. Definitely. And that, to me, really feels like a trademark of the 70s films where there's just half lines thrown in there somewhere where you have to piece together what's happening. But the story is so good, and I know that Soderbergh did this as an experiment, and the framing and the filmmaking is so good that he recut this film to have no sound To be black and white, I think, and to have no score or anything like that, like a different score, not the John Williams score, and you can still follow the story. Oh, yeah. Because it's just that well shot and set up, so you basically know everything that's happening anyway, and so it ends up being inconsequential what they're telling us in the dialogue. But yeah, you do sort of just go on a ride with this movie. And
5: And they tell you where they're going to take you.
4: Well, yeah, I'm saying, though, that the twists and the turns, they sometimes just happen. And you're kind of like, what's going on? Who are these people? That is true. But it's only when you stop and think. If you're not stopping and thinking, it all flows together. It does
5: have a sort of a build-your-own-adventure feel to it. It never feels like Jones even really fully has a plan. Things have to fall into his lap at times.
4: People are introduced. Characters are introduced. Yeah. All of a sudden, he's talking to Sala. You're like, who's this guy? What is happening now?
5: He's got a lot of old friends. How does he
4: know Marion is in Nepal? Yeah. I don't know, but that's what's happening. Right, that is true. Just different things happen, and you're kind of like, okay. Now, as I alluded to, it is entirely possible, if not likely, that this is all part of the Nazis' plan. In other words, they knew that this communique would be intercepted, and they knew that they would recruit Jones- and they knew that he's going to be the one that knows where Marion is because they just can't find this fucking medallion. Right. So let's let him lead us there, and then we'll get it. That's dope. So I do think that Indy does factor in, although since he's the hero of the story, you may not want to think of him as being used as a pawn. Sure. But that kind of seems like that's what's happening, but he ultimately ends up triumphing. Yeah,
5: I mean, I would say he's rarely in control of any situation that they're in.
4: And plus, when you look at the sequels, the villains are usually defeated by their own arrogance. Absolutely, yeah. He doesn't really kill the main villains, necessarily.
5: Yeah, you're right. He's not generally a step ahead of them, either.
4: When Brody first goes to Indy's house to discuss the mission, Jones is dressed the way he is because he is entertaining a young woman in his bedroom. The script originally planned to show her, before moving to the next scene, to give Indy a more worldly persona, like James Bond. However, her appearance was cut, as Spielberg thought that being a playboy did not fit in Indy's character. and This also ties into the co-ed's fawning over yeah, him. Laughs. He does
5: still seem like a playboy to me, regardless of whatever they cut out.
4: No, he, he isn't. Okay. Well, who's he hooking up with? I guess
5: I view him as a ladies' man.
4: But why? I don't Just know. Just say
5: it. Karen Allen?
4: No, you want to fuck Harrison Ford. <laughs> That's the only thing you're going by, is that he's handsome. Well, Well, think about the movie. Yeah, who does he want to fuck in this movie? Not Marion. Okay,
5: but the girls are fawning over him in class.
4: Yeah, but how does he react to that in the movie? In the text of the film, by being uncomfortable, he's stammering up there because he doesn't even. The version that Spielberg commits to is that he would be uncomfortable with this rather than trying to have sex with his students. Okay,
5: sure. (laughs) Yeah, I guess maybe. You're little- just
4: going by because he's good looking and cool, but. Sure. He doesn't really ever seem like he's even that into Marion in the But
5: movie. I think that that is even more so. The fact that he's not interested.
4: <laughs> he's uh, Yeah, he's playing a game. Yeah. Meanwhile, he could get any woman on earth at any time, but he's yeah. more interested in digging in the sand. He's
5: negging them.
4: Yeah, but unintentionally, right. which is why it's working. <laughs> 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 I think that the movie is set in the 30s. It was written essentially in the late 70s. I know that that's not a great excuse, but you do have to get past the fact that Marion was so much younger. Thankfully, they don't really give you the specifics. So even in my mind, Uh I never really thought, oh, she was literally a child. I know that's what she says later, but I was always thinking, well, that could mean like, oh, she was like 18 or 19. Or something. I'm always giving them the benefit of the doubt. I don't know. Maybe
5: it's just because of watching this at a young age, but they always seem like peers to me.
4: Yeah, in real life, Karen Allen is nine years younger than Harrison Ford. So it's it could still get tricky. Sure. Harrison Ford is always deceptively old because he didn't really get started until later. And he's already basically 40 at this point. Okay. Because now he's like in his 80s. By the time we get to this fifth Indiana Jones movie, he will be well into his 80s. Right.
5: (laughs) Still having on-screen romances with much younger.
4: Well, they brought back Karen Allen for four.
5: I know. I was loving that.
4: I don't know that she's going to be in five, though. I have no idea. Yeah.
5: Well, now it's been what? Almost 15 years since four? Probably. Yeah.
4: I kind of think that they're going to do an Irishman thing there's rumors that that could be part of it where he's going to be de-aged in okay. some of it yeah i'm kind of thinking it might be flashbacks something like that or maybe even almost like bordering on an anthology or it something. is weird
5: because when four was coming out i can remember feeling like man he is old this seems like hard to buy i didn't really feel that way watching the movie though but leading up to
4: yeah which makes me think that it won't be the eighty-year-old version of Indiana Jones doing the adventure. It, yeah, that will be in flashback, and they'll do some sort of
5: right. Okay,
4: I don't know. That's what. That's why I think that. Sure. At a bar in Nepal, nestled somewhere amongst the snowy Himalayas, Indy reunites with Ravenwood's daughter Marion, played by Karen Allen, with whom he once had an illicit romance, and learns Ravenwood is dead.
5: By the way, how exhausted would you be from the amount of travel? That goes on here.
4: Oh, yeah. There's a lot of stops on these flights. Oh, yeah. There's a million questions that arise from this, though. Sure. This is 1936. If I had a friend, former lover, hell, family member, uh-huh. who was living in Nepal in 2022. No way. That person would be dead to me. <laughs> let alone 1936 how does he even know that she's
5: still there how would you be able to find someone like track them down like who knows this? Yeah. and
4: they evidently haven't talked to each other in a long time i don't know how he knows that she's at this bar yeah this is another thing that
5: <laughs> not connected on instagram
4: lucas cut out in addition to the weird age stuff he also wanted there to be like an insinuation that she worked at the bar but not as a bartender or something Okay. Until she was able to take it over,
5: not a bar back. I take it either.
4: And so the implication was that she was a prostitute or something to that effect. And it's like George, PG George. We get it. Yeah, we get you have an issue with this woman. (laughs) I don't know what it is. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how he knows she's there. I don't. I don't know. It all works out though. (laughs) (laughs) That's the magic of good filmmaking, where you don't really care what the specifics are. For Jones's love interest, Marion Spielberg wanted someone akin to the early 20th century leading ladies like Irene Dunn, Barbara Stanwyck, and Anne Sheridan, who equaled their male counterparts. Lucas wanted Deborah Winger, but she was not interested, and Spielberg wanted his girlfriend, Amy Irving, but she was unavailable. They also considered Stephanie Zimbalist? I don't know who that is. Barbara Hershey and Sean Young. Sean Young, man, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. That's true. Except her, for Blade yeah. Runner. Her name did come up a lot. She eventually would get to work with Harrison Ford, but so many movies, she was on the consideration. But yeah, it didn't yeah. Quite happen. Spielberg was aware of Karen Allen from her performance in Animal House portraying an independent female character, and she impressed him with her professionalism during the auditions. Kazdin named Marion after his grandmother-in-law and took Ravenwood from a Los Angeles street. Our introduction to Marion is her being a big drinker, where she's drinking that big burly man under the table. That's right. It's sort of a ridiculous sequence, but I guess it comes into play later. They have to establish her yeah. tolerance for alcohol so that in the bell scene later, it makes sense.
5: Something they would redo in Varsity Blues with Amy <laughs> Smart and <Yeah>. Billy Bob.
4: <laughs> that was an homage. Yeah. <laughs> I love this introduction to Marion. The dynamic between her and Indy, the love hate thing. Yeah, it is fun. She's so angry at him, but the emotions are high. Yeah, I I really like Karen Allen in this role. She's not only beautiful but also spunky and has Fiery. the right spirit. Yeah. yeah, but like she's also able to convey a wounded toughness. In her eyes. Agreed. She's able to make you feel like she's had her heart broken, but she doesn't want to show it, that kind of a thing.
5: And I love the whole love-hate thing that's going between her and Indy.
4: Yeah, I was saying this to you before we started recording, and I'll stand by it. I love Karen Allen. I think I prefer her as an actress. I think she's great in the movie as her own thing. However, I do think that Kate Capshaw in Temple of Doom for whatever reason, has better chemistry with Harrison Ford.
5: She's a completely different type
4: of character. Yeah.
5: It's definitely electric.
4: You could say that it's potentially a flaw in Indy's character Uh that he doesn't have as great of chemistry with a woman that challenges him as much.
5: Yeah, you could say that.
4: But ultimately, they chose to return to that route for the fourth Indiana Jones movie and bring Karen Allen back out of all of the love interests. Although I guess... I can't really remember what happens to the woman in the third one, I and mean, she might get killed. I think I so. Remember. But yeah. she is a Nazi. Right. So that also is. She gets canceled. Challenging. <laughs> <laughs> Rightly so. Hello, Marion.
3: Indiana Jones. always knew someday you'd come walking back through my door i never doubted that something made it inevitable so what are you doing here in nepal
1: i need one of the pieces your father collected
3: i learned to hate you in the last 10 years
1: <sighs> i never meant to hurt you
3: i was a child i was in love it was wrong and you knew it
1: you knew what you were doing
3: now i do this is my place get out mohan temigaru, oh.
1: I did what I did. You don't have to be happy about it, but maybe we can help each other out now. I need one of the pieces your father collected. bronze piece about this size with a hole in it off-center with a crystal. You know the one I mean?
3: Yeah. I know it.
1: Where's Abner? Where's Abner?
3: Abner's dead.
1: Arian, I'm sorry.
3: What you did to me to my life.
1: I can only say I'm sorry so many times.
3: (laughs) Well, say it again anyway. Sorry. Yeah, everybody's sorry. Abner was sorry for dragging me all over this earth looking for his little bits of junk. I'm sorry to still be stuck in this dive. Everybody's sorry for something.
1: It's a worthless bronze medallion, Marion. You gonna give it to me?
3: Maybe. I don't know where it is.
1: Well, maybe you could find it. 3,000 bucks.
3: Well, that will get me back, but not
1: style. I can get you another two when we get to the States. It's important, Marion. Trust me. You know the piece I mean? You know where it is?
2: <laughs>
3: Come back tomorrow. Why? Because I said so, that's why. See you tomorrow, Indiana Jones.
4: It is interesting, though, forty-one years later, processing the dialogue in this scene. I was a child. I was in love. It was wrong, and you knew it. <laughs> yeah, wow. Things that go right over your head yeah. when you're like eight <laughs> years old watching this, and now you're thinking, like, what? Wait a minute. I know. What are they saying here?
5: Yeah, India is a creep.
4: Yeah, it definitely wouldn't fly now to have your hero even suggested that there's some sort of impropriety there. We later find out that the falling out he had with her father was over her. Yikes, he was grooming her. And you're thinking, rightly so. Yeah. (laughs) But in order to enjoy films like this, sometimes you just have to roll with it. And that's easier for people who grew up with these movies, I guess.
5: Sure. I obviously never even put
4: any thought into it. In terms of problematic, I think that Temple of Doom is rated more problematic though <laughs> for a variety of reasons whereas this one is not as bad. But this one hurdle right here is sort of weird.
5: It is strange.
4: Like I said, I think that in my head you could roll with the idea that her implying that she was a child just meant that she was just so much younger than him and right. it, that not necessarily illegal, but Sure. Yeah, I do think the implication was she was probably a little too young for him. Uh Uh-huh. Marion does seem agreeable enough, kind of, to giving the medallion to Indy, the one he is seeking so that he can locate the Ark.
5: It is weird, though. Like, show up after all this time.
4: But she tells him to come back the next day, even though we find out that she does have the medallion on her at the time.
5: Imagine that after this fucking journey.
4: (laughs) like how long it's come back tomorrow yeah i'd be like what do you why tomorrow what, yeah what does that mean
5: what am i gonna do
4: yeah do you think there's a holiday Inn express <laughs> next door <laughs> why know. is there this bar at the foot of the himalayas <laughs> where is even the next building <laughs> no kidding how do you have enough business there? yeah really where are these patrons coming from how do you even get alcohol delivered to this place it, it seems seem so tough. out of nowhere yes However, in what feels like a precursor to Christoph Waltz in *Inglorious Bastards*, yep, Gestapo agent Arnold Tot, whose name is never actually really said in the movie, but Tot is his name, played by Ronald Lacey, arrives right after Indy leaves, and he is, of course, in search of the very same medallion. Now, Tot, he is a real weirdo, creep, deaf, gets very sweaty. That's something that even as a kid, that image always popped out to me when he gets the fire poker and he's standing next to Marion. Just the water coming off of his face. Yeah, frightening. He's got that Wallace Shawn hairline for some reason. Because (laughs) later in the movie, it looks like it's shaved.
2: Yeah,
5: I know. His whole look is bizarre. He -hmm. is kind of cartoony, though, like I said earlier.
4: So their intention is to use this fire poker to torture marion to get the medallion
5: it is a rough ride for marion wouldn't you say
4: yeah but she was just waiting at this bar for something to happen (laughs) that's true because she even says i don't have enough money to get home that's the only reason i'm still here
5: i'm not even supposed to be here today
4: and then indy of course makes the big save and then the bar is set ablaze during the ensuing fight between tot's men and indy tot attempts to steal the medallion away from the flames But only succeeds in burning its image into the palm of his hand. And then, yeah, it is almost a Looney Tunes level comedy here where he's running out to the snow. Oh, yeah. His biscuits are burning. (laughs) It's Home Alone esque, even. Yeah, that's right. Indy and Marion then safely secure the medallion and escape. As she puts it, I'm your goddamn partner. (laughs) (laughs) Fade into the next scene. So how do we feel about the red lines on the maps for the traveling? Uh,
5: It reminds me of like the Rescuers down under.
4: Yeah, I think part of it was just to simplify it and to save money and to condense it and make it f- go fast. But it also ends up ultimately being a big help because this is a PG rated film. As we've already pointed out, a lot of kids were seeing it. Mm-hmm. I think it helps give, give you, you some, some idea where they are.
5: Some scope of what's going on.
4: Yeah, the distance they have to travel, where on the world they are, all of those kind of things. And as we've already said, so many connecting flights. I know.
5: Yeah. This is free <laughs> airline rewards programs.
4: From Nepal, our heroes travel to Cairo and meet up with Indy's friend, Sala.
5: I love that he's got all of these friends all over the world. That he, part is like James Bond-esque.
4: He's played by John Rhys Davies. Uh-huh. Salo reveals Belloc is now working with the Nazis. Big surprise. Belloc is supposed to be French, but I guess he is working with the Nazis in order to obtain these artifacts and things of that nature. But I guess
5: and doesn't it? You get the feel like all of these people kind of know each other.
4: Yeah, doesn't it's a it small circle. It? Yeah, of adventure <laughs> Worldly archaeologists. The Nazis have fashioned an incomplete replica medallion from the burns on Tot's hand, so it almost was fortuitous that he got burned so bad because they were able to get half of the information. Mm. Cairo,
0: City of the Living, a paradise on Earth. Why do you forget
3: yourself? What is this? Where did this animal come from? Oh, oh, oh
2: no. <laughs>
3: Cute. <laughs> what an adorable creature. <laughs> then it shall be welcome in our Oh, well, no, you don't have to keep it here just because of me.
2: <laughs>
1: um. <laughs> I knew the Germans would hire you, Sala. You're the best digger in Egypt.
0: My services are entirely inconsequential to them hired or shanghaied every digger in cairo the excavation is enormous they hire only strong backs and they pay pennies for them it is as if the pharaohs had returned
1: when did they find the map room three days ago they have not one brain among them except one he's very clever he's a french archaeologist what's his name we call him <laughs> Belloc! Belloc! The Germans have a great advantage over us. They are near to discovering the Well of Souls. Well, they're not going to find it without this. Who can tell us about these markings?
0: Perhaps a man I know can help us. Indeed.
1: There is something that troubles me. What is it?
0: The Ark. If it is there, Atanis, then it is something that man was not meant to disturb. Death has always surrounded it. It is not of this earth.
4: So once they hit the ground in Cairo, there's definitely a lot of eyes on them at all times. They seem to be constantly being spied on, which is something that, we pointed out is happening almost immediately. Right. Even when Indy is leaving from America, so that does sort of fit with the idea that this was all part of the plan. Uh-huh. But again, I attribute this just to the way that stories and movies were structured in this time period. There's not a whole lot of explanation as to who these people are. Right. What is happening exactly? There's good guys and bad guys running around. You just know who's who and go with it. Yeah. But there's this guy with this monkey, and the monkey then infiltrates the party, but he's, I guess, the highly intelligent monkey. Yeah. So the monkey is spying. I don't really know what's going on exactly. (laughs) The monkey raising his paw and saying, essentially, in its own language, Hail Hitler, was thought up by George Lucas- and is one of Spielberg's two favorite scenes. Wow. In the video box set, he says his other favorite is the scene where Indy's pointing out where it doesn't hurt. Essentially, kind of a love scene on the ship. Yeah. But in Empire Magazine, Frank Marshall said that they got the monkey to do the Nazi salute by putting a grape on a fishing pole and getting the monkey to reach for the grape, which was dangling just out of camera range. This took about 50 takes before it actually looked like a Nazi salute. Voice artist Frank Welker provided the chattering sounds for the monkey, including the sig like chirp that the monkey gives when it raises its paw in salute. And then Welker would later provide similar monkey chatter for Abu, the spider monkey in Disney's Aladdin.
2: <laughs> wow, okay,
4: that's one of those little touches that you might not even really notice when you're a kid, right? And it's just sort of a weird moment because the monkey does it so fast, but yeah, he yeah, does yeah. it right after.
5: I wouldn't have known
4: his uh, handler, his owner, does it. As is seemingly always the case, Indy is being spied on and monitored. Nazi soldiers and mercenaries attack him in the streets.
5: I feel like the whole oblivious thing is just part of his character.
4: Which sets off a prolonged sequence of combat, chases, and cat and mouse. We don't really need to get into the specifics of every action sequence. But Marion and Indy are separated, and Marion ends up hiding in a large wicker basket. While that's happening, Indy encounters yeah. the big swordsman dressed in black leading to one of the film's right. trademark scenes.
5: This is what I thought of this movie when I would watch it as a kid. It was the boulder and this. The, yeah. the sword guy getting shot. This, I don't have time for this bullshit.
4: A big part of it for me was also the Batman-esque use of the whip. Yeah. Sort of using that as like a vine to swing from. Right. Yeah, this is where a little bit of that Han Solo yes. comes out in him. But it ended up being a fortuitous accident because it's not originally how it was scripted. The famous scene in which Indy shoots a marauding and a flamboyant swordsman was not in the original script. Harrison Ford was supposed to use his whip to get the sword out of his attacker's hands. But the food poisoning he and the rest of the crew had gotten made him too sick to perform the stunt. Oh, Wow. After several unsuccessful tries, Ford suggested just shooting the sucker. Spielberg immediately took him up on the idea, and the scene was successfully filmed. Which, again, is one of those happy accidents in filmmaking, because as you said, it jumps out to you as one of the memorable scenes, and I think right. it's one of the defining character moments.
5: Absolutely, yeah.
4: Where, on the one hand, you could look at it, well, the, the hero's being slightly cowardice, using a weapon to kill this guy. But at the other hand, it's funny, and it just proves that he's not trying to prove anything. That's right, yeah. It's just the easiest way to deal with this. And this We're guy's moving just on.
5: wasting my time.
4: Yeah, it adds a lot to the style, and the fact that it was unintended is kind of cool. Yeah. However, the mercenaries discover Marion and carry her away. In the basket, she is then loaded into the back of a truck, which ends up turning over and then explodes.
5: And that's it for Karen Allen. She's seemingly dead.
4: Seemingly killing her.
5: Yeah. It's too bad. Could have stood to see a bit more of her.
4: Indy is a little bit despondent in resorts to drinking. This is another thing that was left over, that was essentially excised from the script, but he's also supposed to be a drinker, Mm. which ultimately doesn't really come through in the movie. No. Now- Marion more so. At this point, would you just quit?
5: Well, I would, but (laughs) I'm- Pretty easily convinced to
4: quit. But Indy, what if the Nazis get the Ark? They'll be invincible. (laughs) He's just like, who gives a fucking shit? I don't care. Marion's dead. Oh, God. Poor Marion.
5: But I don't know. You never really got the sense that he was like that into Marion either.
4: Yeah. He likes her. Sure. But. He's okay. If she wouldn't have insisted on being his goddamn partner. Exactly. He wouldn't have brought her.
5: I would say he's lukewarm at best on them as a couple.
4: I do think that, but then I think later she grows on him. I agree. When you finally do get to the where-doesn't-it-hurt scene on the boat. That's right. Although he does fall asleep. (laughs)
2: He's just
4: like, keep dreaming, honey. He's a mastermind. I'm swimming in it back at the university. I don't got time for this shit. (laughs) I know you liked Belloc. Quit saying you didn't. (laughs) What did you do? Yeah. Belloc does show up to gloat and reiterate the significance of obtaining the Ark. As he states, he believes it's a transmitter, it's a radio for speaking to God. Well, Belloc, I got news for you. He's not happy to hear from you, evidently, <laughs> really? based on what happens. <laughs> I like how he's just making that up. Yeah, I know. Here's what I think it is. <laughs> a little full of himself, maybe? Yeah. It is a weird scene, though, because they're sitting there, and then Indy seems to misunderstand the situation and doesn't realize all these men in, around him have guns, and they're all with Belloc, essentially, or at least paid by Belloc.
5: Again, just not very perceptive.
4: And then they don't kill him because those little kids run in. It's just a weird scene. I know. It's like, okay, Uncle Indy, come with us. <laughs> they're like, oh, I guess we can't kill him because there's children here. We're not that big of
5: monsters. <laughs>
4: <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Right. Matt says the Nazis not that bad. Although I guess they aren't really Nazis. They're just a French guy and a bunch of local mercenaries That's right. working for the Nazis. Come on.
5: Yes. <laughs> they're one party removed.
4: I do think that they don't kill him because there is some thought amongst them that they're not sure if they still need him alive until the ark is actually found and recovered. They
5: know this motherfucker's accidentally gonna stumble into where they need to be.
4: Pretty much. Yeah. Maybe Belloc doesn't want to admit that because he's got his own professional pride.
5: Belloc's but. whole career seems to be based off just letting Indy lead him to
4: yeah, and the he, treasure. Yeah, he, actually, yeah. He doesn't seem to be that upset about it. Yeah. He <laughs> brags about it several times. <laughs> and Imam deciphers the medallion for Indy, revealing that one side bears a warning against disturbing the Ark. And the other has the correct measurements for the staff of Ra, and, an item used to locate the Ark. It's like, well, if you're putting a warning not to disturb it, why are you then giving instructions on how to find it? Right. When I
5: would watch this movie as a kid, at this point, I would just be watching and be like, all right, so now what is he doing? <laughs> it's hard to follow. even well, this though this they... guy
4: is a guy that Salah knew. Yeah, and he's like, he'll be able to read this. It's like when that guy on Pawn Stars is like, "That's right. Let me call an expert. I gotta find out." Yeah, yeah. I so, lot doesn't have the answers yet. Yeah, I guess it. Maybe it's a an ancient language that people don't speak anymore, or sure. something like that. Yeah, I'm not sure. So, even when those army intelligence men came, Indy seemed to know the outline right. of how to do this. Because he even draw. He was explaining this part: the medallion of yeah. and the staff and everything, but. Where do you put the staff exactly? And that's what the instructions are, and that's the side that they don't have. Because it says, I don't know what the unit of measurement is, but let's just call it feet, even though that's not what it is. Sure. The one side says, put it five feet from wherever, or whatever. Or it need, the staff needs to be five feet long. Mm-hmm. That's what it is, the, the length of the staff. And then the other side of the medallion says, but then take one foot off to account for God or whatever the thing says. Sure. So the Nazis only have the one side, so they're using a five-foot one instead of a four-foot one. That's essentially what ends up happening. Right. It's not feet, though, but you know what I mean. Uh Uh-huh. And since the Nazis only have that access to one side of the medallion, the side that burned into Todd's hand, they don't have the right measurements for the Staff of Ra and thus are digging in the wrong place, which both Indy and Salah exclaim at the same time. They haven't found the Well of Souls yet, which is where the Ark is stored. Somebody tries to poison Indy by poisoning the dates, but Salah spots the dead monkey, which ate the dates.
5: Yeah, it's a sad moment.
4: Yeah, I mean, you spend that much time training this monkey only to let it get killed by your own stupid poison? Seriously. Your horse's ass.
5: Brush with death here, though, for Indy. Yeah,
4: he's thrown the date into the air, and he's going to catch it in his mouth. Good spot by Salah. Really?
5: Would have thought he would have been more grateful.
4: Indian Salah infiltrate the Nazi dig site while the Nazis are realizing they're no closer to finding the Ark.
5: These guys seem like they're digging through the whole friggin' desert.
4: Well, as Salah says, they have not even one brain among them except for <laughs> Belloc, and yeah. Belloc isn't even that great. That's right. Yeah, I do think that. Spielberg relished the opportunity to make the Nazis look buffoonish and sort of idiotic while at the same time maintaining the right level of evil. Right. In other words, he's not satirizing them as we were talking about in the potential Roger Rabbit prequel. Right, yeah. He's not making it a total goof, but he's definitely making them seem kind of inept and incapable of doing much.
5: But there's also a menacing vibe. In certain instances as well.
4: Well, yeah. They still are Nazis. Yeah, yeah. Indy descends down into the map room and uses the medallion and the correctly sized Staff of raw to locate the Well of Souls, the Ark's resting place. So you have to wait till the sun is at the right moment. The sun's going to pass through. There's this swelling score here. It sounds really cool. And ultimately, I know it's an effect from 42 years ago, but that light going through the medallion still looks awesome. I know. They just really knew how to make a moment feel special back in the day. Totally. I would argue that the moment that sun goes through the medallion is cooler than any moment in an action movie in years. Now, I know the the nerds are going to be like, oh, what about when Captain America catches Thor's hammer? Oh, or bullshit. Whatever. It's like, shut up. <laughs> Yeah, you mean a bunch of shit they drew on a computer? When Captain America catches Thor's hammer. <laughs> oh, dude. That's... Is that a big one that people... Oh, my God. They're wow. They're fucking cheering. Matt lives in this other world... That I have no he has idea. no idea what's going on. That does come through a lot on the podcast now, where you're just completely oblivious. Yeah, I know, but I think it's... Well, it is for the best. We like to right. keep you like that. Yeah, yeah. You can't know too much.
5: No, it would be dangerous. <laughs> there would be another incident. I'd be back in the hospital. <laughs>
4: Yeah, you're very similar to Shatner's character from that Twilight zone That's right. Indy then discovers, surprise, surprise, Marion still alive. Oh, okay. Being held captive by Belloc and the Nazis. It's a pretty hilarious moment, though, because he doesn't free her.
5: <laughs> I know, that is funny. Did they fake him out on purpose, or was this all just incidental?
4: There's a lot of shit in this <laughs> movie where you're kind of like, well, wait a minute, what happened now? How is she still alive? From- right. I don't know. He even says, oh, I guess you switch baskets. And she doesn't answer. He's just like, <laughs> yep.
5: I'm going to keep you guessing.
4: It's ultimately the correct decision, because if he takes Marion before they get the arc, they're oh, going to yeah. know he's there. Right. I get why he does it, but it's still Although funny. Although
5: it also seems like maybe they do anyway.
4: Yeah, I think they know. Yes. They, or at least they're planning on him showing up at right. some point. They may not have the exact moments down, because it does seem almost fortuitous that they've stayed awake all night to see him trying to get out of the well of souls later that's right at the correct location indy salah and some men dig and discover the well of souls above them the skies are getting pretty wild i would describe them as poltergeist-esque
5: i know that part's really cool too these are some of the coolest shots
4: i'd be looking around and saying guys do we think maybe a little too ominous right now maybe we don't want to do this maybe this is a bad idea (laughs) Seems like there's a lot of warnings telling you. Well, us it's about to, to get worse, too. Yeah, because they finally pry open the, the well and Salah notices that the floor is moving. Yeah.
5: Why is the floor moving?
4: So, yeah, I think they all set up with different animals, right? What's the one in two? Is that spiders or what is I, it two?
5: I couldn't, or is it rats?
4: Rats is three. Okay,
5: then yeah, it's spiders. Or just, I think it's just bugs.
4: Well then there's those crazy ants. Yeah. In 4. Right. Which is not, I I've I know that it's become like a thing to talk about how terrible 4 is and I was always kind of like, well, it's not that bad, but it is kind of rough. Yeah.
5: I really wanted to like it, but I was a little bit probably like you where I wasn't ready for people to hate it. Yeah. I just didn't want it to be hated.
4: The opening is cool. Yeah. Well I do even if it's impossible, but it's still pretty cool.
5: I had this weird feeling after it people reacting to the whole alien angle like poorly, and I was like, as if a supernatural element is not part of all of the other movies.
4: Yeah, well I didn't have a problem with the alien part of it. It was more the execution of the alien part. Yeah. Of it. it just never it didn't feel like the same. I do agree. And it relied a lot on cgi obviously right
5: and Um, i really haven't gone back and revisited it since it came out so that shows how much i really liked it but yeah i don't know i'm not ready to be that person that hates an indiana jones movie
4: (laughs) i have higher hopes yeah for five and the sad thing is that part of the high hopes comes from it not being spielberg because even though i think spielberg is still a good filmmaker I don't know that he has the popcorn blockbuster in him anymore.
5: That part seems to have passed him by.
4: So the snakes are covering the floor of the Well of Souls. Horrific, Uh, nightmarish. A million questions. Yeah. Why are there so many? What do they eat? What do they drink? How
5: do they live like this all on top of each other all the
4: time? Where do they come from? Where do they go? Where do they come from? Cotton-Eyed Joe. (laughs) I, I, I was saying to you, All of those snakes still need water. There's thousands of them. They're in a desert. I know. Where is the water sustaining these snakes? These are the kind of questions that you can't ask to make this make sense. But yeah, they used all the snakes they could find. Then they also used legless lizards because they just didn't have enough.
5: Legless lizards also sounds horrifying.
4: They sound horrifying, but I don't think that they're dangerous or anything. They're just kind of gross, I guess, if you don't like snakes. And then there were, like, pieces of hose and other things in there in the mix. There's fake snakes. Right. Because they just couldn't get enough. But I don't know. When you clean it up for the Blu-ray and 4K and stuff, I I never really notice it. Same here. The only snakes they used that were poisonous were the cobras, and they used glass and stuff to keep them separate. So, like, you couldn't really... It looks like I you are going to say the they
5: covers. only killed like three extras.
4: Meanwhile, there's a whole separate element going on here between Belloc and Marion. So it becomes clear that Marion is being held as Belloc's prize in a way. Yes, I do think that original versions of the script had much more sexual tension between these two. And you
5: did say that to me, and I think that that really comes through in the tenth sequence.
4: Yeah, but when she's doing that drinking thing, though, she's. She's doing that on purpose.
5: I know, but it feels like there is a little bit of a chemistry there, though.
4: Yeah, you wonder that maybe she would want to use him to make Indy jealous or something because he is the polar opposite in so many ways where I think they wanted Belloc to appear to be sophisticated and upper class and elite and then Indy to be more of like that blue-collar, rough-and-tumble kind of a guy. Belloc's actually good at being an archaeologist. Well, he also is seemingly expressing a lot of interest in her. Yeah. Whereas Indy is kind of like, well, I was sort of bummed that you died. Right. I should get credit for that, right? That's true. Like, (laughs) when
5: they throw her down into this pit, he's upset.
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, he thinks he's getting her as, like, a payment. And then the Nazis are like, what the fuck are you talking about? We don't need her. (laughs) But, yeah, she goes back into drinky time Marion from the... First time we saw her, and she's trying to drink Belloc under the table. But then she hides a knife. She pulls it on Belloc. She's going to make her escape, but unfortunately, Tot picks that moment to show up. It's a great bit too, because you think he's going for some sort of Nazi torture device, and then it's a hanger. Oh yeah, to hang his jacket. Right. <laughs> for some reason, he likes to prance around the desert in all, heavy all thick black. Leather. Yeah. <laughs> Just sweating. He loves to sweat. Yeah, I know. He's a sweaty boy. Such a life
5: of discomfort.
4: Meanwhile, down in the Well of Souls, Indy and Salaf find the Ark. It's a golden, intricately decorated chest. It's glowing. We got the mystical music going. However, Belloc and the Nazis discover them as they are trying to get it out of the Well of Souls and then seize the Ark. Indy and, much to Bellocs, Chagrin, Marion are then sealed inside the well with all of those snakes. An absolutely absurd escape sequence here. I don't even understand what's happening. He climbs on that giant statue and somehow gets it to tip over, which I was thinking, what is that thing made of? I don't know. I thought it would be stone, too.
5: Well, even when they actually get out of here, it's kind of ridiculous because he just kind of like pushes a giant brick.
4: Yeah, you just had to go one room over. It's like, well, how did they have such a hard time finding this (laughs) fucking... I know. Okay. I also was thinking that he is riding this giant heavy statue and crashes it into a giant wall made of heavy blocks. He would be dead. I know. Those things would just fall on him. (laughs) (laughs) Then we get a little bit of a sequence of some mummies and skeletons and stuff, very poltergeist-like.
5: That's right. They all make screaming noises,
4: yeah. Which is something that they used to do in these kind of movies. Right. And you're like, "Is that the soundtrack, or is that I know. really happening?" Yeah,
5: yeah. I was thinking that too. Oh, is that supposed to be happening, or is it just for a jump scare?
4: I think it's just for a jump scare. Yeah, but who knows? Because there is such a supernatural element coming up at the end. There's that giant plane, which isn't really a plane. I mean, in real life. It's a plane in the movie, but it's like a giant thing they built to spin around. There's a right. big fight. That bald this guy- sequence is cool. Comes out. Yeah. He actually already died in the movie back at the bar. He was one of those dudes too. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure. But he's just waiting for a chance to pop that shirt off and yeah, fight exactly. somebody. He's like, here we fucking go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to beat this dude. To it's ass. about time. Yeah.
5: But this is a cool sequence. It's another one that always jumped out to me. And as I said, when watching this as a kid, there was some stuff that was a a little bit much to handle and his death. Yeah.
4: Brutal. A bloody death. Marion's got a pretty big body count in this movie too. Oh yeah. She's just just opening fire with the plane's (laughs) machine gun, just mowing people down. (laughs) No feelings of remorse. Indy takes quite a beating, though. His face would be, like, completely jacked the rest of this movie. This dude is huge, just pounding his face. (laughs) Also, it's very weird that the Nazis don't just kill Salah. And then not only do they not kill him, he's just running around free. And they reunite with him here, and... There are a little bit of like potholes holes like a, that yeah. throughout this. It's like, really? The Nazis of all people are just like, okay, you can go. If I was
5: Indy, I'd be nervous about like a double agent situation here.
4: Well, there are parts coming up where you think that that's what's about to happen, and then it never really does. Right. Salah so tells them that the Ark has been loaded onto a truck headed towards Cairo. Pursuing on horseback, Indy oh, goes yeah. after the truck.
5: We get a Mad Max Fury Road sequence here.
4: Yeah, the truck that's transporting the Ark, and then he has Salah and Marion go on ahead to Cairo to arrange a tramp steamer to London in order to make off with the Ark there. And then, yeah, this is a a very extended, daring truck hijacking. There's some real wild cliffs going on here. Uh I'm thinking, is that
5: impossible terrain?
4: Yeah, does that really exist like that in Cairo? I don't know. Maybe. I don't really know where they are. It's not
5: my area of expertise.
4: In total, though, how many times do you think the bad guys pass up chances to kill Indy?
5: I know. Well, I think there is this handshake agreement that they have to keep him alive.
4: Yeah, but not now. Yeah. Not that they actually have the arc. Well, that's true. I guess they don't know 100% sure it is, but they seem to think it is. Everyone seems to think it is. Right.
5: I don't know. They're just not effective killers.
4: Well, then you have that car of VIPs, right? Yeah, up ahead, and then the truck with the actual arc that Indy has to battle his way into. Get rid of those guys. They all know he's doing it. It None does seem like they've got
5: the numbers on him.
4: Have guns? They I know. can't just shoot him. I don't know. It's one of those chase sequences that happens in the movies sometimes, where it's as if they are on a track and can't get off everyone involved we can't just stop and hit the brakes we have to keep going no matter what's happening at all times
5: speed rules also in play
4: all in all i felt like it was a pretty cool final escape when he beats them back into cairo and then they hide in behind that fake fruit stand that comes out of nowhere yeah like in here and here and here and then they put a fruit stand in front of it i thought that was pretty cool yeah now it seems like a lot of the locals are on indie side all of a sudden
5: well they can't have the friggin' Ark stolen from their region.
4: Yeah, it did seem like a lot of the indigenous people to the area were a little bit upset that they were just taking this thing and going. Yeah. Everything at last has been arranged. The Ark
1: is on board. Nothing is lacking now that you are here. <laughs> oh, what is left of you?
0: Trust these guys? Yes. Mr. Katanga! Mr. Katanga, these are my friends. They are my family. I will hear of it if they are not treated well. My cabin is theirs. Mr. Jones,
1: I've heard a lot about you, sir. Your appearance is exactly the way I imagined.
0: (laughs) Goodbye.
2: Look after each other.
0: I am already missing you.
1: You're my good friend.
3: Sorry. That is for fire, that is for your children, and this is for you. (laughs) a as
0: free as a mountain bird. His energetic be ready
3: <laughs>
4: Indian and Marion are all set. They board the boat, they head to London with the Ark. Movie's over, right?
5: Yeah. wrong. Oh,
4: can't get away from the Nazis that easy. No, unfortunately.
5: We have way more vehicles that we need to get in the mix. We've had planes, trucks. we got to go to the sea here at some point.
4: Yeah. This is a part of the movie that I always forget about after a few years and then come back to. Yeah. If you were to be like, oh, remember that scene where Marion kisses him on the elbow and where doesn't it hurt and that whole thing? I'd be like, yeah. And they'd be like, well, where does that take place? I probably would have thought like, well, on a plane? On a train? You're Right. But then they're like, no, on a boat on the ocean. I'd be like, what? Really? There's a boat? I don't know. For some reason, I always forget this part.
5: It's world travel we're talking about here.
4: Because ultimately, they go to an island that looks exactly the same as where they just were. I know. So this doesn't really feel any different. But yeah, it is a great scene here between Marion and Indy. This is finally the moment where they actually seem interested in each other. And she is like... A thousand percent DTF, and then he just falls asleep, (laughs) which is pretty legendary. Absolutely, it's not the years; it's the mileage, baby. Where'd you get that
3: from him? Who, him? Katanga. I got a feeling I'm not the first woman to travel with these pirates.
1: It's lovely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: What'd you say?
1: Wait, I don't need you.
2: I do.
3: Not the man I knew ten years ago.
2: It's not the years,
3: honey. It's the mileage.
1: Please, I don't need a nurse. I just want He's to see. How is this
3: here? Go, Ray.
1: Hey. Yes. Hurt. Wow.
3: So, well, goddammit anywhere doesn't it hurt?
0: Here.
1: Here.
4: On the boat, we get a little sample of the power of the arc where it starts to burn in that case. Yeah. And then that mouse is like having a meltdown. I guess they just found a mouse that was being weird and they filmed it. And then I don't know how they confirmed this but i guess they found out the mouse had like a brain tumor or something you know it was like oh. f- flopping around all weird Ugh. and they were like oh that looks cool we can make that look like it's part of the that's kind of sad or well it wasn't like it was anybody's pet yeah <laughs> i guess i don't know maybe it was who knows maybe it was one of the hired animals they're like why is this animal being weird right
5: <laughs> they had to keep a relationship long enough to find out its medical diagnosis
4: well that could be one of those urban legends I that's don't know. true yeah Not all of the research I do is that well-vetted. I'm not going to put that much time into it. Come on. I need to know the truth about this mouse. (laughs) Prove it. Who identified that it had a brain tumor? Not long into the voyage, a German U-boat intercepts the steamer and seizes the Ark and Marion. Indy, meanwhile, is hiding in the ship like a coward. By the way,
5: not a great protector of Marion, I have to say. She's constantly being taken.
4: Belloc can't wait to get his hands on Marion and claims her as his. This time the Nazis are like, all right, fine. We thought we already killed her. Instead of just shooting her on the spot, I guess we'll let you have her. I know. Before the Nazis depart, however, Jones covertly boards the U-boat. This is all completely glossed over as to what the fuck is happening now. Does the submarine U-boat thing not go all the way underwater? How the fuck does he go to the island with them?
5: No, I know. How That's does, a good does he get
4: into the U-boat? I don't know. They never really explain this. Yeah. He's on top because they're not all the way submerged. That's but, right. What are they going to travel all the way to this island without going all the way underwater? That doesn't seem likely.
5: This does seem like something that could completely backfire on him.
4: I'm drowning. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Shit!
4: I've made a huge mistake. The vessel travels to an island in the Aegean Sea where Belloc intends to test the power of the Ark before presenting it to Hitler. Now, if we were going to re-envision Raiders of the Lost Ark and make it Tarantino's version, I think they skip this part, they go right to Hitler. Hitler's face melts when they open this thing. Oh, yeah. And that's the end of World War II before it even starts, really.
5: (laughs) I base most of what I know off World War Two off of this movie. <laughs>
4: <laughs> this movie in particular. This is a documentary, this, right? And Inglorious
5: Bastards. Did the screening happen yet? I guess not because Hitler's still alive.
4: Well, no, it definitely did, and this is way before yeah, that. Yeah, right. On the timeline. But it also makes you wonder why wouldn't the US use the Ark? We were willing to drop atomic bombs on Japan, but we're not gonna unleash the Ark on the Germans. Come on. We're just going to put it in a warehouse well, and never a,
5: mention it again? It's power that they don't understand, so it's tough to wield.
4: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Just dump it over like a <laughs> wheelbarrow. Everybody's <laughs> like, holy shit! <laughs> Faces <is> melting everywhere. <laughs> Great moment here. Absolutely. Where Indy tries to take a Nazi's uniform and it doesn't fit. Did you think that's what I was going to say? No. <laughs> We, remember I thought he, it was the sequence we were leading up to here. but He beats up yeah. the one guard, and the uniform doesn't fit. Right. That's great, because that never happens. Always That's conveniently true, yeah. in a movie, it always fits. I know. So he has to get another guy. Indy is able to ambush the Nazi group, and Belloc, and Marion, with a rocket launcher, I guess, and threatens I, to destroy the Ark. There's
5: a lot of great shots and... Cool camera work in this movie, but this is one of my favorites, like the way that it pans to him. Up, comes behind him, with the angle looking down at the group in that little canyon or whatever.
4: Yeah. This is also famous because that fly lands on Belloc's face. Mm -hmm. The way that it's cut in the movie makes it look like he eats the fly or swallows the fly. Oh, yeah. Which he claims that he didn't and that it flew away, but the way that the scene makes it look like he does...
5: By the way, bellick actually kind of going complete unhinged here. I when mean, he, when he calls Indy's bluff, but I feel like he's lost his ability to maintain his cool.
4: Well, I think he knows that he's not going to do it. No, I know, but... Plus, if he's going to kill Mary. What is that,
5: like, noise it? that he makes, though, when those guys try to step in front of the Ark? It's like...
4: <laughs> Yeah, and he, like, takes a gun and points it at the Nazis. And the Nazis just seem kind of cool with it in the (laughs) end. They're kind of like, all right, well, I guess he had to freak out.
5: I mean, that part is great, though.
4: Go ahead. Blow it back to God. However, Indy does surrender after Belloc deduces that he wouldn't destroy something so historically significant. Yeah. Also surmising that Indy wants to know if the Ark's power is real. I do love
5: that part, though, before it when he's got the rocket launcher or whatever, and he's just like,
4: I just want the girl. Yeah, even Marion's like, come on, Bullshit. Andy, nobody's buying yeah.
2: that. <laughs> Shut up.
4: <laughs> well, the fact that they don't know anything about the arc, why do they even assume that this would work to destroy it? What if he hits that thing and the whole world explodes? <laughs> it just bounces. Ends the world. <laughs> it just bounces off and comes back and kills him. <laughs>
0: Jones! I'm gonna blow up the acrony. <laughs> Your persistence surprises even me. You're gonna give mercenaries a bad name. Dr. Jones? Surely you don't think you can escape from this island?
1: It depends on how reasonable we're all willing to be. All I want is the girl. if we refuse, then your Fuhrer has no prize.
2: Okay, stand there. Oliver,
0: stand there. Okay, Jones. You win. Blow
3: it up. Yes, blow it up!
0: Blow it back to God. All your life has been spent in pursuit of archaeological relics. Inside the ark are treasures beyond your wildest aspirations. You want to see it open as well as I. Indiana, we are simply passing through history. This, this is history. Do as you will.
4: The Nazis restrain Indy and Marion at the testing site rather than just kill them. Right. As Belloc ceremonially opens the ark, but at first discovers nothing except for sand inside. At Indy's instruction, he and Marion close their eyes to avoid looking at the opened arc as it starts to release spirits, flames, and bolts of energy that spectacularly kill Belloc-Tot and the assembled Nazis before sealing itself shut.
5: In a really cool scene, you don't really understand what Indy knows.
4: Yeah, I do think that there was some information cut there, but... Again, it's sort of like the end just of work. The Last Crusade. Yeah. You just buy that right. he's pure at heart because he's the good guy. Yeah. And that's almost more important and than it, closing your eyes. It, I think it
5: goes with this whole figure-it-out-on-the-fly attitude that he has. I think you are supposed to take it that he doesn't know. He's just like, I don't know, let's try closing our eyes.
4: Yeah, it's a last-ditch effort that right. just happens to work. But it may ultimately be, too, that they know that... Nazis are evil and that these people are not evil and that's that is happening. true yeah but it is fucking wild I think in the script it was just described as all hell breaks loose so then they had to figure out what that was going to look like and they yeah. came up with all this different shit so Belloc's head explodes <laughs> but it's obscured by those flames because originally they were like no, no no this is rated R so then they had to obscure the head exploding with the flames but fuck that i know the exploding head never bothered me it Same. was Todd melting melting which is fucking i know insane. a
5: rough scene
4: <laughs> a rough. it's a rough beat for todd i know he's a nazi but that's pretty wild well
5: that's the thing i mean it went from sweating to just completely melting
4: <laughs> off yeah i actually was unrelated to the arc he just was like his body was just like are you kidding me wearing this leather trekking through the desert <laughs> that fire from the exploding
5: head was just getting to him
4: yeah, Todd's death is so fucking crazy. I know. <laughs> Indy and Marion eventually open their eyes to find the area cleared of bodies and their bindings removed conveniently. I don't really know why, but they're untied Right. Now. It also think- does a good job just of disposing of all evidence of the bodies. They're so just gone. Yeah.
5: Hitler just completely losing an entire unit.
4: I was thinking... There's a lot of questions here, namely how do they even get off this island? I know. Do they drive the U boat? But they also take the Ark, and I was thinking like him and Marion carrying the Ark, and they drop it and the lid falls off. And- oh shit
5: <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well that's what I was thinking. Like after this all this shit went down, wouldn't you be like, you know what, I don't really feel like dealing with this Ark anymore. Yeah. Let's, let's get not away
4: take from this it. thing. <laughs> I've heard that there's people when they're that sometimes people experience that weird sensation when they're like up really high up in the air and they have that urge to jump out of nowhere like that some kind of thing happens oh i know it well and then you have marion or him on the boat like what what if we just opened it (laughs) even though they know it's (laughs) It's gonna melt their faces (laughs) off just do it i know but somehow some way they get it back to washington dc i'm not sure how or what happens
5: yeah i know checking that through customs
4: Back in Washington, D.C., the U.S. government rewards Indy for securing the Ark. However, despite his insistence, the agents state only that the Ark has been moved to an undisclosed location for, quote, top men to study. And then we see in a large warehouse, the Ark is crated up and stored among countless other crates.
5: Which is a cool ending scene.
4: Yeah, It makes you wonder what exactly the point of this is. Right. What is going on with these other crates? What is this place? I know, like what is all this shit? They sort of address that in Crystal Skull, right? Yeah. Isn't there a whole sequence Uh where they're in a place like that? Is it like Area 51 or something? Yeah. Which I don't know if that's supposed to be the same place where the arc ends up, but it's kind of the same idea, I guess. And like I said, I feel like our government (laughs) would definitely be trying to use this as a weapon. I don't think they would be responsible enough to just be <laughs> like, you know what, let's bury this somewhere and get rid of it. But I don't know. They're not going to let Indy and and his ilk study it.
5: Yeah, which, again, I think I, after this, being a part of this, I would be like, I would want some space between this thing and myself.
4: Yeah. So what are our final thoughts on Raiders of the Lost Ark?
5: One of the all-time great, adventure action movies
4: yeah you have the perfect character inhabited by the absolute best actor to do it because women want to be with him men want to be him right and children can look up to and admire and idolize him in a way that transcends all ages yeah. and everything and
5: it's weird and going back to the who framed roger rabbit episode too Man, it was just a time where you could have like a PG movie be sort of risque and feels like it's for adults.
4: Yeah, although w- it's interesting that PG-13 did exist by the time Roger Rabbit came out. True. But at this point, it did not.
5: It's very hard to imagine a PG movie coming out today feeling like this. Oh my god, a
4: PG movie? No way. <laughs> oh. You'd be lucky to get a PG-13. I, let
5: me rephrase. Impossible to imagine. <laughs>
4: Yeah. Who would have thought that we would become more and more and more puritanical? Like, we would well, just keep go completely the opposite direction. To
5: swing back the other way, but I guess the way the 90s went, <laughs> we were due for some years of heading backwards.
4: Well, yeah, the culture was wilder in the 90s, but even then, by that point, you right. wouldn't be PG for this. Agreed. We've just headed in one direction with ratings. We've really tightened that up. For sure. Spielberg and... Harrison Ford's wife at the time, Melissa Matheson, wrote a script during shooting breaks on the location of this film. Matheson was there to visit her husband, obviously, and Spielberg dictated to her a story idea he had, and then she did the actual script, and that was eventually called E.T., The Extraterrestrial.
5: Oh, wow. How about that?
4: Which she is the only credited screenwriter for. Oh, cool. But I guess he he does like a story by credit or Uh, something on that one.
5: That's cool that he gave her that credit. Do you have a favorite of the Indiana Jones movies? This one. Same here. Yeah. I don't know. A lot of people like Temple of Doom.
4: Which is weird because it was reviled by critics at the time and still is. It has a very still, low feel like Rotten Tomatoes
5: score. You see people say that they like that one.
4: I know. It was very popular. Yeah. It was a huge hit. But this movie was nominated for Best Picture right. and was loved. Whereas yeah, yeah. people thought the second one wasn't good.
5: The third one is fun, but it seems more goofy.
4: The third one I've only watched a few times all the way through, and there are some cool elements about it. But especially the ending, for whatever reason, yeah, yeah. the ending always like stands out to me, even, sure. almost as much as Raiders. That whole thing with the chalice and the right, like I guess you like rapidly age or whatever. It's like yeah. almost as jarring as what happens here. But we're not going to talk too much about Temple of Doom just because no, I think yeah. we might do it eventually even though, like I said, it's sort of a a weird movie now because it's very polarizing because of some of the depictions of things and and whatnot. But the one thing I will say is I do like the Kate Capshaw-Harrison Ford dynamic for whatever reason, even though I do love Karen Allen.
5: I also, in Temple of Doom, love the opening sequence. The whole restaurant sequence is super cool.
4: Yeah, it's a cool movie, and it's definitely one that I think people who watched it when they were kids like in a different way. It's sort of like Hook. Right. Now, I know a lot more people probably don't like Hook than Temple of Doom. Get the fuck out of here. when you're a kid yeah. and you see Hook at the right time and then find out as an adult that it was like not liked and was a disappointment in a lot of ways, you're like, what? I know. And that's kind of how it was for Temple of Doom, too. I never would have thought that back then. And then you find out later oh, this movie really was not well-liked for whatever reason, and I think people really criticized the violence in it because it's not like they were as up-to-date on racial depictions sure, sure. cultural depictions of course. like we are now, but they were like, well, this is way too violent. Like, what the fuck is going on right. here? That was a lot of the reactions to that movie, but I don't know. We'll save that for another time. Absolutely, yeah.
0: What are you doing? What? What?
4: Vincent, stop making picks.
3: Well, how am I going to know what movies to see?
4: We have a wide variety of Gene Jean picks.
3: Gene's trash.
5: I'm Gene.
4: So let's do a quick recommendation. I didn't think I had one, but I do. Because I was going to watch Smile, which I still have not I seen yet. I do see yet. that
5: that's up there now.
4: Yeah, it's on Paramount+. Plus, But I haven't watched it yet. I'll save that for another time, because I did want to talk at length a little bit more about the year in horror, because horror reigns supreme now. Mm. It's very reliable to make money now. These movies that cost no money to make, so many of them were big successes this year, and I think we'll save that for when I actually watch Smile. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have seen it already, but I'll recommend a movie on Roku Channel, which... If you have a Roku, it will be easy to watch. If you don't, you can go to Roku's website and watch it for free with commercials, and that is Weird, the Al Yankovic story, I Mm. believe is the actual title.
5: Yes. I was hearing some people talk about this at work, actually.
4: Starring Daniel Radcliffe in a biopic of Weird Al.
5: 100% real.
4: It's a lot like UHF, which I referenced earlier, because it is a spoof of music biopics, which is sort of of the moment, when we had the Elton John and the Freddie Mercury, and then there's a Whitney Houston coming out, and there will probably be a few more here and there. So it's the right time. The humor is very reminiscent of UHF. I think Weird Al wrote a lot into both. I don't know if he was the credited writer or what, but... It's very much of that same humor. It is pretty fictional, but there's some real stuff mixed in too. But then at a certain point, it gets so absurd that all reality has waved goodbye. I don't want to give too many spoilers, but I'll say that in a world where there's not a lot of comedy films and not a lot of entertaining ones, for sure, it was pretty funny. I definitely laughed a fair amount. Obviously... Because of what I just said, I think our standards are a little lower than they used to be with comedy. But of course. I mostly enjoyed it, and I thought all some right. of the fun stuff that they changed from his life and, and went into all these crazy directions sort of made it a little more entertaining even. and
5: I do want to watch it.
4: There's a lot of fun, weird cameos and comedy people and recognizable faces and stuff like that. and I don't know. It was pretty fun you can find that on the roku channel like i said if you have a roku that will be very easy to find and if not you can go to their website I th- i'm assuming you just google it if you want and it'll take you there because they're trying a different model where they pay for these things through ads so you do have to watch commercials but right. you know that's just part of the deal
5: well i'll just do i'm watching season two of white lotus as i was telling you and on hbo max right now and I'm really enjoying it. I kind of find it pointless, but endlessly watchable.
4: Yeah. I haven't dove into season two yet. Yeah.
5: I don't know. I as I'm watching it, I'm like, man, I kind of wish there was more like this.
4: Yeah. I enjoyed season one. I don't remember. Did we talk about it on the show at all? Did I recommend season one or something? You
5: and I talked about it at the time. I couldn't remember if you recommend I feel like you had to have recommended it on the show. Probably. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I definitely enjoyed the first season. It's sort of like Knives Out, where, where we just have like a little bit of carryover, but it's all new. And right. I think what Jennifer Coolidge carries over. And yes. Everyone else is different, yep. pretty much. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'll, I'll definitely look into it at some point. I just haven't yet. There you go. So next up, we are doing a listener request. We're actually doing two in a row. Whoa. And that's going to take us to the We're end back. of our... 2022 listener requests that'll be coming right up soon. You know we will be back next week, back on schedule on the regular day and everything. So look forward to that. If Twitter still exists, you can find us there, Aquarius Pod. Make sure you subscribe to the podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. If you'd like a free sticker, just let us know, and we'll send that to you. You can rep the show. Make sure you're telling your friends. Give us a rating and review if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts. Reach out any way you can. We love to hear from everybody. Give us your thoughts on Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, The White Lotus, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Weird, Anything. any movie we've done, yeah, whatever. And find us on Letterboxd. Zach 1983 and Matt Crosby, as I pointed out recently, if you follow me or Matt even and we don't immediately follow you back for whatever reason cuz we're not paying that close of attention just reach out like comment on a review and say hey follow me back i like the show or you know if you're following oh, from definitely. the podcast just let us know cuz we'd like to follow you back too yeah but i haven't been staying up to date on who's following me and all that stuff so reach out just so i know anyway thanks so much for listening happy thanksgiving hope you enjoyed it and we'll talk to you soon. Maybe
3: I don't really want to know How you got engrossed Cause I just want to fly Lately Did you ever feel the pain In the morning rain as it soaked you to the bone Maybe I just want to fly Want to live but want to die we